Hey there, where have you been? Welcome to the No Jet Stress podcast, the show that helps you maintain optimal health and peak performance as a road warrior, no matter how much you travel. I'm your host, Christopher Babiodi, traveler wellness advocate, nutritional therapist, author, and ex-flight attendant of 20 years at British Airways, one of the UK's largest airlines. Welcome back to part four of my conversation with James Hewitt, the human performance scientist. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the use of mindset and self-talk, cognitive appraisal and how to use it as a performance tool, some things about sleep that you may want to consider in order to make sure you are successful in improving sleep, James' thoughts on Brian Johnson, the $2 million supplement man, as well as interpreting or looking at where potentially technology might help us be better performing performing human beings. Enjoy this episode. In terms of mental skills specifically, um, we often underestimate the power of self-talk, both in an an athletic context, but also beyond. So self-talk refers to the words that we use. It's our inner monologue. And in an athletic context, they've demonstrated that it is incredibly powerful. So, for example, they did a study where they looked at the effect of um, the words people used in their monologues of themselves when they started to experience discomfort associated with uh, a 10 kilometer time trial effort. So that's a, a typical test used in sports science, ride 10 kilometers as fast as you possibly can. And what they found was that when people used words like, I can manage my energy until the end, when they started to experience that discomfort and had thoughts like, this is really hard, I'm going to run out of gas, then using those words like, I can manage my energy to the end, actually improved their time trial performance by 15 to 71 seconds. Now, that doesn't sound like a huge amount, maybe, but to put it in context, um, there was a time trial of a similar distance in the Tour de France a few years ago, and 15 seconds would have taken the winner to the third step of the podium. 17 seconds would have taken them to 131st position. So it's profound. Now, in a business context, there's also studies that indicate what that might look like. And some of the best examples actually relate to public speaking. So there was a study done on the effect of instead of telling people to calm down when they were nervous about an upcoming public speaking engagement, teaching them to reappraise. So that means reframe or look at in a new way that feeling that they're experiencing as excitement rather than anxiety, that encouraging people to reappraise, so reframe that experience as excitement, improve their performance as well as reduce their stress. And uh, that improved performance was measured by other people and people rated their communication as much more effective, much more convincing. There's also studies that, um, uh, that are related to that that show that shifting our stress mindset, so actually our beliefs about stress, can have an influence not only on our performance, but also on physiological measures, like our cortisol response, our, our cortisol reactivity, for example. So reframing again, so considering that stress could be enhancing, so recognising that you know, stress is uncomfortable initially, but then reappraising it, reframing it as something that could be enhancing and energising, not only improve performance, also reduce people's negative physiological response to stress. So I think in terms of mental skills, that business people, business travellers could 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 adopt that kind of reappraisal, cognitive reappraisal, and looking at self talk is absolutely critical. And if you think about it, for example, 
what happens when you arrive after a long flight, you're feeling fatigued, you may be a bit nervous. Pay attention to that in the monologue and reframe it. There's also some evidence that that has an influence even in terms of how we've perceived our sleep. So there was a great study done, or several studies actually, that looked at deception. And so basically what happens if you trick people about how much sleep or how much how much time in different sleep stages that they've had. And you're talking about sleep stages again. They did one study where they gave some people some brief education to tell them that they needed to get a certain amount of time in REM sleep. Um, and if they didn't get that much, then their cognitive performance would be worse. And they fed back the time in sleep stages on a wearable device that had a screen that, that showed them that information. But the interesting thing was, is they, they also set up this measurement device in the lab, but it was a sham. Actually, they weren't measuring sleep stages at all. All the feedback was false. And what they found was, was that relative to control conditions, when people were told that they got more of this particular sleep stage than they actually got, they performed better. When they were told that they got less, they performed worse. That's also been demonstrated to be true when you tell people about sleep duration. You tell people that their sleep is longer or better quality, they perform better. You tell them that it was shorter or worse, they perform worse, regardless of what's true. So in terms of those mental skills of self-talk and reappraisal, related to that, I often say to people when they're traveling, if you know your sleep will be disrupted, either don't track your sleep or don't look at the data if you can be disciplined enough. And if you land, you know, after several time zone difference and maybe some jet lag and not as much sleep as you'd like, or you've got to the hotel late and you have to be up the next morning after a short night of sleep, don't look at your sleep. And when you wake up, pay attention to that inner monologue and actually tell yourself that if you're nervous, you're energized. If you're a bit worried, you're excited. Don't look at your sleep. Tell yourself you'll be fine. You've got the resources. You've got what it takes to perform your best today. And the evidence would indicate you will. And it's certainly going to be a better outcome than if you start worrying about the fact you only slept three hours with X amount of REM and listen to that in a monologue that is telling you to be scared about the day. Yeah. So yeah, so that'd be that'd be a big one for me is that the mental skill of reappraisal and being aware of your self-talk. Great, great tools. And again, it encapsulates this idea of, you know, performance, human performance science and the fact that it's down to the human and what better way to arm people with uh, skills and frameworks, as you've put it, to to help them do that. Because the idea is also that <clears throat> sometimes people think of going outside of themselves for a solution, which you can do to a certain degree for some things. But ultimately, if you're more, if you're empowered by the fact that you have the tools at your fingertips or your ability to to use them without any outside input, it's an even more empowering tool. So um, I've enjoyed this thoroughly james so i think we're just coming to the closing um um part of our conversation um i could go on forever i really could <laughs> uh, but time uh, i don't think time permitting uh time permits us to do that i wanted to get your views specifically on something that's come about fairly recently i'm not sure if i've actually mentioned him already but are you familiar with brian johnson the two million dollar supplement man yeah and his blueprint and his uh, blueprint pathway to living forever <laughs> i i i uh, i have uh, an acquaintance who runs a clinic um in the uk um that does a lot of biohacking stuff in fact i used to be part of a biohacking committee once upon a time and i've seen all the bits and pieces and he was asked to comment on that and he made he made uh, a statement 
uh, in his interview, that pretty much is true. And it's it, Brian Johnson has echoed it himself. On the surface, it kind of looks like maybe he could be narcissistic. He could be, you know, he hasn't got anything better to do with his time, this, that and the other. But when you dig into his data, into his story, he's actually a lovely guy. He has he has a goal that is bigger than himself. And even though he's spent all this money invested in all these tests, supplements, 110 supplements a day, you know, he's, you know, religious with his sleep. He wears a whoop and apparently he's got a 100% score for like four months in a row. I'm like, what? Amazing. Making dream. <laughs> in my dreams. But when, so one he basically says, and he's he really is a lovely person, or from what I can tell, it's all about the idea that, yes, there is the blueprint. It's published there for everyone to be able to dip into if they want to. But you can actually get a lot of these gains by doing the common sense thing. Some of the things that we've been talking about, sleep, mm-hmm. nutrition, and managing your energy. And I find that heartening because I don't have a spare two million pounds lying around to go and invest in and do stuff like that. Have you heard of him? What do you think it means in the context of the kind of work that you're doing? Because you're about mm. performance. He's in his, I think, 30s, but he has biological markers of an 18-year-old, according to the tests that he's done. I think it's fascinating. I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting guy. And I think it's one of the challenges is he's almost kind of become a caricature of himself. And in in social media, and some of that by his own doing, I think, and some of it by by others as well. And unfortunately, that then can obscure, I think, some of the lessons that we can take from it. And so, in my view, is that I mean, if you look at society through millennia, there's always these extreme outliers. And you know, maybe a thousand years ago, we would have said that someone like him was a prophet. The thing about prophets is some of them were bonkers, and a lot of the time they were wrong, and. Occasionally they were right, maybe, or a bit of it was right. And so I don't want to be quoted on that, that I think that Brian Johnson's a prophet. Please don't quote me on that because I don't think he is. But I'm just kind of setting the scene in terms of, if we look at it kind of through the span of human history, you get these extreme people. And sometimes we dis- we can um, discount everything they say because we don't resonate with the way it's delivered and then miss out on something good that might be there. And I think that Brian Johnson's maybe an example of that because I think there are some things that we can learn because he is pushing the extremes. And when you do that, you can sometimes get a signal that there's something that's worth exploring in more detail. I think one of the things that I found quite interesting as well about his approach is that he is happy to admit from what I've seen that he's wrong. So an example of that specifically was he started to use human growth hormone because he believes that there might be um, a rejuvenation effect with some of his organs, for example, but actually found that the the negative side effects associated with that, particularly in terms of what he was able to measure in terms of biomarkers, suggested to him that actually it wasn't a healthy thing to do. Overall, it was going to have a net negative effect, even though he felt that there were some positives in some areas, so he actually stopped that. Now, some clinicians rightly so, have said, well, we could have told you that. That's why we don't prescribe growth hormone for anti-aging. But but actually, you know, when you've got, if you think about, there's some other very famous, well-known people who are very interested in longevity, particularly in the tech space. And I won't name any names, but if you do a Google search, you'll find it. Um, if you Google kind of, you know, billionaire growth hormone, it will pop up. And there's several 
you know, tech billionaires who were quite open about the fact that they used growth hormone in their regimen as, a, as an anti-aging approach. You'll find many anti-aging doctors in the United States in particular who'd be very happy to prescribe people growth hormone. But because none of them were taking this super rigorous approach to measuring their biomarkers, they didn't find out that actually it was probably a net negative. And actually someone like Brian Johnson, because he's taking this whole battery of tests and uh, he he brought that to light and some people would say he didn't need to we already know um, but actually in terms of the the kind of the huge microphone he's got um, maybe that's helpful for some people so so i think you've kind of got to take everything that he says with a pinch of salt and i certainly don't agree with a lot of what he says but i think that some things that he says and does there's something we can learn from um, and actually you know i do kind of see him more as a personality than anything else he's kind of like almost like you look at a professional wrestler do you know what i mean you, oh, like, you know that okay it's okay. kind of like it's extreme it's a bit of a show and yeah. um, he doesn't take himself that seriously you know he likes to bait people in social media but i just encourage people to to keep an open mind however that said i can't remember where this quote is from but I like it. It says, there's this quote and it says, be careful that your mind isn't so open that your brain falls out. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that's also true because we want to be open-minded with people like Brian Johnson, but not too open-minded. Right. We also want to make sure we're critical in an appropriate way and, and try to kind of distill in terms of all the things that he's doing, you know, where the truth or where the good might be. Because I do think there's some, some good in there. So yeah, that's my kind of, my view on on brian johnson and i think he's a fascinating character but i know he's very polarizing yes indeed indeed just had to ask that one and then i was going to ask do you think there's a role for technology in <laughs> in human performance and travel but you know whether it's the aura ring the apple watch the whoop and sometimes if i think that's a definite yes and i think that's mm -hmm. uh, that's really a non-starter what I'm interested in is where it could go from here. Do you have any thoughts on where tech might go? Yeah, what's next? I mean, what I actually think that the next frontier is going to be about finding ways to integrate some of these technologies and approaches structurally. So that's where I see like the IoT of travel. things. Not necessarily even that. So an example that I'll give you is so say I get a jet lag plan, right? From my from from time shifter. I'm constantly having to create this bubble around myself because the environment that I'm in is not set up in any way to accommodate that jet lag plan. And so an example of that would be if you're using blue light blocking glasses or even sunglasses because you need it to be really dark. So many times I've gone into an airport lounge and got on the plane wearing sunglasses and a baseball cap, looking like a complete idiot. You know, like people think I'm a poser or something because, but we're all on the same plane, going to the same time zone. There's going to be a significant group of people there who would likely benefit from adapting to this new time zone with this type of light exposure um, that this app is recommending. So imagine a scenario where when you got your plane ticket, it also gave you a jet lag plan. And in the environment that as much as the airline was able to accommodate it, there were options to be able to, for example, prioritize bright light. So you've got like blue light or natural light uh, um, mimicking lights in the lounge, for example, or even on the plane, as well as dark areas. Also, you know, one of the reasons I really like Qatar Airlines, for example, is that you can get your meal whenever you want, which works really well in terms of a jet lag plan. Whereas you know, very often 
with other airlines. I get on the plane and they come around with the menu straight away and they want to give you the evening meal because it's the evening there. But actually what I really want to do is get in my four hours of sleep or whatever and maybe get some food a bit later, but I end up just not having anything. And so again, if that technology, that technological approach could start to be integrated in the experience, I think it could really amplify and improve improve it. So, So I'd say that for me, kind of one of the frontiers is about that integration and application at a more structural level. Certainly in the context of business travel, I think it applies to workplace well-being as well, where you know we actually say, how do we take these learnings, these technologies, and start to fit the environment to what we know, rather than having to do so much uh, at an individual level, where you know in the end we're quite limited uh, in terms of what we can do sometimes. Yeah, totally. It, you kind of like bring that home for me when you think of you know, you're on a. It doesn't matter which class of travel you're in. You go to the toilet, you close the door, and bang, you're just flooded with white yeah. light. You know, in like you, you are going back to bed, but hey, here's the white light, everyone. It's kind of absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Very nicely put. Okay, so rounding off, I'm going to ask you a, a traditional question for us here, which is, what is your favorite destination and why? Yeah, I think you know, there's lots of different places that I like. I think one of my favorite. It depends on what I'm going for, I think. But I think one of my favourite cities in the world like, is uh, Singapore. I absolutely love Singapore. And um, one of the reasons being, like, I do actually like long flights. So you've got a decent <laughs> flight there. You can kind of enjoy the flight on the way there. You know, you feel like you're going quite far away. Yeah. And exotic um, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a cool city. I just find I really love the the biophilic design. So I really like the way that they integrate nature into okay. the city. So you've got super contemporary you could even say futuristic buildings with all of these green features you know plants right kind of woven into it i think food is great you can get pretty much any cuisine but obviously kind of the asian nation inspired food there is fantastic yeah. really interesting mix of people great for doing business nice hub as well for getting to different places i mean you're not even that far from australia once you're in singapore really and yeah. um, so yeah i mean there's tons but i've been there this year so it's kind of a few months ago so it's kind of front of mind at the moment but that's definitely one of my my favorites and the airport is pretty good too i mean that that it's it rated as one of the best one. airports in the world yeah. and you know with that the huge water feature you know the jewel in the middle you know it's just absolutely spectacular so whenever i go there I'm kind of a bit excited you know it's <laughs> such a fun place and obviously you know we've got the grand prix coming up soon which is a you know if you can get there for a grand prix weekend unfortunately i won't be there this year for that but you know the city really and it comes oh, alive wow. in a different way, even yeah. though it makes getting around an absolute nightmare because of all <laughs> barriers. But it's still it's something to experience if you get the chance. It's a great pick. I even heard it said that locals go to the airport for mm. you know, Sunday, on, you know, like Sunday lunch, because, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that place. And then and we used to stay at the Fairmont, which gave you on certain floors a view of parts of the, of the Grand Prix track. Yeah, exactly. So people used to love to do that as well. So, yeah, uh, I love that city. It's yeah, it's 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 a it's a twenty four seven city, pretty much, is it not? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, yeah. I wouldn't know that because I'm I'm in bed getting my seven to nine hours. So, uh, <laughs> I've, I've honestly never <laughs> i've I've never been to any really good parties at the top of Marina Bay Sands ever. <laughs> I, uh... James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to dig into the kind of work you do, connect with you, whatever? Please let us know. Thanks, Chris. Well, if you're on LinkedIn, then I post regularly on there. And, you know, I'd love to hear your views on some of the comments and with some comments on some of the content that I share there. 
but also on my website that's jameshewittperformance.com you'll find blogs deeper dives into some of these topics but uh, but yeah linkedin's probably an easy place to get hold of me and if there's anything you want to talk more about you've got some questions or ideas you wanted to share then please feel free to drop me a message there and i'd welcome the opportunity to continue the conversation lovely thank you so much for coming on the no jet stress podcast love to have you back again with some more insights in the field of human performance james been really a pleasure thank you likewise chris I hope you enjoyed this edition of the No Jet Stress podcast. You can catch up on the previous episodes over at businesstravel360.com. Until then, until the next episode, wherever you go, farewell.